talking about the uncontrollable sin, coveting, and by way of review and kind of establishing just a basis of understanding, said a couple of things about um, coveting. Uh, coveting counts. It's Jesus who made coveting count and talked about not only must we control our behaviors in order to keep the Ten Commandments, but we have to control our thoughts and desires as well. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment as well. Jesus made the commandments so deep that there's not a one of us who can escape being kind of brought under the judgment. We, um, it doesn't require that we murder somebody, that just that we be angry. That's something that all of us have to struggle with. Um, it says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If we control our behavior, if we control our behavior, but not our thoughts, Jesus places us in the same line as somebody who didn't control their behavior, whether it be murder or whether it be adultery. Um, in order to respond gently, then, um, we need to understand that uh, not only does coveting count, but that coveting is uncontrollable. Uh, it's Paul that ends up... Um, yeah, John, this is not advancing. Thanks. He said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from law, sin is dead. Um, Paul says is that with respect to coveting, that the commandments actually stimulate the very behaviors they prohibit. When it, the Bible says, don't covet or else, that causes us to covet. And so with respect then to this sin of coveting the uncontrollable sin, um, how do we control something like that? And we've talked about five steps. Be real, be still, speak freely, wait perseveringly, and respond gently. Be real. We have to be real about our inward thoughts the things we struggle with with respect to thoughts and desires, be real, then be still. We have a tendency when we identify something that is out of line to try to fix it right away. And when God says, stop, before we rush off and try to fix something externally or internally, what God says is, be still, stop striving, let your arms hang limp at your side. And then he tells us, and think about these things. I am God. I will be exalted in the nations and on the earth. I will never leave you and never forsake you. You remember that that prayer uh, we used to say over meals sometimes. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. God is great. He is able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the world. He says, I will be exalted in the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Not only is God great. He's good as well. He says, I will never leave you. I will never unhook you and let you 
drift on the river of fate. I will never leave you behind because God is great and God is good. Even when we struggle with thoughts and feelings, he says, be still. And we can do that because of his greatness and goodness. When we do that, when we, be, when we learn to be real and to be still, what he wants us then to do is to speak freely with him. He wants us to come to the throne of grace with confidence. What that means is don't just come into God's presence, but when we come into God's presence, learn to speak freely and openly with him there. If we do the first three things, it will enable us to wait perseveringly and respond gently. What we're talking about in these, as we kind of bring this series to a close over the next couple of weeks is we're going to focus on a principle of application. And the principle of application is this practice makes perfect with something like this in order to learn to be real, to be still, to speak freely, to wait perseveringly and respond gently. It is not possible to learn to do this quickly. We have ways that we respond to crisis that are already fully developed to be able to be real, be still and speak freely, wait perseveringly and respond gently is going to take time. Look what uh, James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. The path that God asks his children to walk on requires perseverance. The word perseverance comes from two words to under, mean under and remain. Perseverance means remaining under, and it suggests an objectionable situation. So what it says is that God leads us on a path that requires us to live in a place and under circumstances that we would escape if we could, but we can't. And we learn two things about perseverance. Perseverance leads to being tested and perseverance leads to being perfect. Perseverance leads to being tested. Deep faith stands up to the pressures of life. The testing of faith determines how it will stand up under pressure. It's one thing to walk with God when things are going well. And kind of everything is kind of as we would like it to be. When everything is not as we would like it to be. When we are dealing with uncomfortable circumstances. When we're dealing with unwelcome, unwanted thoughts and feelings. That's what tests the character of our faith. Deep faith withstands the pressures. Uh, at Easter time, my mother always got us chocolate bunnies chocolate bunnies and the way sometimes the chocolate bunnies were hollow and sometimes they were full. And there's a way that you can determine whether the bunny was hollow or whether it was full. And all you have to do is put pressure on it. If you put pressure on it, a hollow bunny collapsed. And if it was full, it didn't collapse. And it's the same thing with faith. If our faith collapses, 
when exposed to pressure, it's not as developed as it needs to be. And that's what God does. He he puts us in a place where our faith will withstand pressure. Here's the question. How does he do that? How does God cultivate within us a faith that stands up to pressure, a faith that tolerates distress? Um, There's only one root. The faith that tolerates distress has to learn to tolerate distress by tolerating distress. We have to find ourselves in situations that we would rather not be in if we had a choice, but we can't. We don't want to be in the situation. We don't want to remain, but we we do learn to remain. That's what perseverance is about. And uh, perseverance means having to live with the pressure of uncomfortable circumstances. If you're if you're in an uncomfortable circumstance, there's nothing pleasant about it. The Bible doesn't say smile about it. What it does say, if you're in an uncomfortable circumstance, it's natural to say, I wonder who did anything wrong. And what God will say to you, there's nothing wrong. Be real. Be still. I am God. I will be exalted in the nations and on the earth. I want you to learn to speak freely. And as we learn to manage the tension of unwanted thoughts and feelings, we end up being able to wait perseveringly and respond gently. Perseverance means learning to manage the pressure of unwanted thoughts and unwelcome feelings. Pressure leads to being tested. And if you are somebody who walks with God, if God is in a relationship with you, it will mean that you'll end up encountering things that you'd rather not counter. And when you're in those things, it will be natural to believe that somebody did something wrong and what God would say, nothing's wrong. It's how God develops deep faith. Um, Perseverance leads to being tested. Perseverance leads to being perfect. So consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Consider it pure joy means being led to joy. I want you to imagine I'm here in a stormy circumstance. And I know that at the end of this road, I'm going to get to a place where I'm going to arrive at a place where I will develop deep faith, where I will be able to be more able to persevere and, in that sense, to be what the Bible calls mature and complete. I'm to think about what will happen at the end of the road. Now, when I'm in this circumstance, this is difficult, but when I think about where the road will lead me, then that's what it, it's literally, consider it pure joy means being led to joy. I am here in a stormy circumstance. I think about where it's going to go, and I let the awareness of where it's going to lead condition the way I feel about it now. Do I, do I laugh about it? Consider it pure joy doesn't mean laugh. It doesn't mean, oh, this is wonderful. It means, though, that I see this disagreeable, unwelcome thing is going to bring me to a place where I will be stronger. And in that sense, then, I can see 
purpose and hope in it. Um, it says that the testing, your, it, so that the you may be perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete. It it actually is translated somewhere perfect, um, perfect. Testing leads to being perfect. Perfect in what way? Uh, perfect with respect to representing God, to being God's spokespersons. The word used to describe perfect, describe a priest working at the temple who has fulfilled and completed their training and is now in a place where they can serve God appropriately. That's what perfect means. It's not talking about moral perfection. It's something who has mastered the art of being able to accomplish what it is that they need to accomplish. And in this case, B, they are equipped for sacred service. Perfection is about representing God to mankind. Here's a question. What does God ask of his representatives? It says this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect here is the same word rendered mature and complete in James. It's associated with loving the unlovable. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ died for us, we were ungodly sinners. It describes us as enemies. And in spite of the fact that we were opposed to him, God demonstrates his love for us and that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. God cultivates the same tolerance in his spokespersons as well. Would you agree with me? There's, there's nothing supernatural about loving friends. You know, you know, somebody who's good to us, somebody who's kind, it's not a problem to love somebody like that. Uh, even pagans are responsible to non-memories. There is something supernatural about loving those we don't like. This kind of love is not based on positive feelings. Bible seems to recognize love not as a noun, but as a verb. It's not something we fall into and fall out of. Love is doing for someone what we would like them to do for us. And love then doesn't require warm, fuzzy feelings. It just requires that we do what the person that we are intending to love needs. Um, in order to love them, it's easy to love us. But loving them, whoever your them is, whoever your them is, if they're on the other side of a political divide or a social or spiritual divide, um, whoever our them is, in order to love them, we must learn to tolerate the negative feelings that they trigger. That's what's hard about loving. Loving when we don't have positive feelings that propel us to love in spite of how we feel rather than because of how we feel. If we can't endure the feelings, we cannot extend the love. Okay, so this is what God asks of his representative. Here's the question. How does God develop this kind of perfection? 
this kind of ability to represent him. Not moral perfection, the ability to love those we might not like. Um, seems to suggest, same says, through perseverance. He leads his children into chronic difficulty. Um, this is where we learn to touch conflicted feelings and God's hand at the same time. And this seems to be what James is saying that we need to learn. We find ourselves in difficult circumstances. We hold the reality of our honest reactions to these things. So we don't pretend. We don't pretend to think and feel things we don't think and feel. God already knows what we think and feel. So he wants us to hold on to the reality of our circumstances and hold on to his promises at the same time. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Would you agree? Learning to do this is challenging. We tend to do one of two things when we're in difficult circumstances. Some of us let go of God's hand. And we hold on to the circumstances and we become distraught and hopeless. We deal with things, I'm all alone. And we hold on to the reality of the situation, become very down. Some of us, we, we hold on to God's hand, but we let go of the reality of our circumstance. And we try to pretend that it's better than it is. And, but to hold on to both things, your honest assessment of what's happening, and God's hand at the same time, this is what James talks about. And you know when we learn to do this? On a difficult road. When we're exposed to things that we have to persevere. We train our hands to grab on to being honest and to grab on to God's promises at the same time. Um, what do we ask for, by the way, if we're in this situation? We're holding on to the reality of circumstances that feel objectionable. They don't feel good. And yet, you know that God hasn't abandoned you. He says, I put you on a road and the road will be difficult. So what are we supposed to ask him? Um, it says back in, let's see if we can find that verse. It said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Uh, what it says for us to ask for is wisdom. You know, we tend to think of, I've talked about this before, wisdom. Uh, God will give you wisdom. We, we usually associate wisdom with the ability for things to get better. You know, I, I was in this situation, and I asked God for wisdom, and he gave me wisdom, and I was able to find a different way do something that relieved me. This wisdom here, it doesn't seem to suggest that God gives us ways to get out from tension, but God gives us ways, wisdom, to stay within it. Again, there is no way to become tested and mature and perfect in terms of being a representative of his without being involved in something that feels unwanted, unwelcome, and uncomfortable. And why I say that is not so that we'll smile about this. Why I say this, that we're all in some places, in circumstances that we'd rather not be in, right? And what we tend to do is we think of somebody did something wrong, that if I was a better Christian, if I was more obedient, then I would have what I want, and what I'm telling us, that's not the truth. 
If you are his son or daughter, he is going to put you in a place and on a road where you're going to have what you don't want to have. You're going to do what you don't want to do. You're going to feel what you don't want to feel. And you're going to think what you don't want to think. And when that happens, it will be very natural for you to imagine that God is distanced from you, and he's not. On that road, God puts us in situations that require us to persevere because that's how he develops things in us. And on that road, he wants us to ask for wisdom. I'm going to say this, and it's a thing that I have to remind myself, and I'd like for you to, if you grab anything, uh, grab this. Wisdom gives us the ability to endure tension, not to eliminate it. We tend to think if we do what God wants, he'll make the tension go away. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true. The reason why we be real, be still, speak freely wait perseveringly and respond gently, is not to eliminate the tension. It's to endure it. Frankly, if I was to talk with each of you and you were talking about the situations in your life and why they were difficult, you're dealing with very difficult things, very challenging things. And it's not, it really wouldn't be very helpful for you to tell me it doesn't, it's, I'm not really concerned about it because that would, that would be in, that means that you would let go of the reality of the situation. The fact is, we have things that are really concerning. And God doesn't want you to come to him. He doesn't tell you he'll eliminate the tension. He gives us what we need to endure it. What do we need to endure tension? You know what God offers us? connection. He says, he's with us. And here's what he says to you. I will never untie you and let you drift down the river without being accompanied. And I will never leave you alone. I will never leave you and never forsake you. He says that so we can move towards him. Um, we naturally assume that faith enables us to get what we want. There's a um, quote by C.S. Lewis, I want to read. He says, I have seen many striking answers to prayer and more than one that I thought miraculous, but they usually come at the beginning before conversion or soon after it. As the Christian life proceeds, they tend to be rarer. The refusals, too, are not only more frequent, they become more unmistakable, more emphatic. There is a mystery here which, even if I had the power, I might not have the courage to explore Next slide, Jonathan. Oh, I'm sorry, we had it. The meanwhile slide. Okay. <laughs> okay, there we go. Meanwhile, little people like you and me, if our prayers are sometimes granted beyond all hope and probability, had better not draw hasty conclusions to our own advantage. If we were stronger, we might be less tenderly treated. If we were braver, we might be sent with far less help to defend far more desperate posts in the great battle. God teaches us to ask for the wisdom to remain in tension rather than to assume that he will lead us out of it. It says, nothing doubting. When we get in places that we'd rather not be, it's natural for us to blame somebody. 
blame God, blame ourselves, blame those around us. Doubt means that we judge it. If you're in a difficult place, is it because you've done something wrong? What this test, what this test suggests, no. The reason why you're in a difficult place, it's the only way you can learn to do this, to hold on to the reality of circumstances and to hold on to God's hand at the same time. God is developing because perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete. If you're going to be spiritually mature, negotiating difficult circumstances is non-negotiable. That's not great news, but it is the truth. Um, But it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose. Practice makes perfect. Be real, be still, breathe, speak, speak freely, wait perseveringly, and respond gently. I'm going to say two things in terms of application. Number one, don't wait for a crisis to practice these things. That faith is like a muscle. It grows as you exercise it. What I would recommend is start to try to practice this on a daily basis when things are not in crisis mode, when you have a break. Think about being real when you come towards God. Think about how you actually feel and what that might mean if you're going to be real with God when you talk to me in the morning or night, whenever you do, what you'll end up saying, God, I feel overwhelmed. I feel distressed. I feel restless. I feel whatever you feel and practice being real with him. Some of us, we want to keep unwelcome, unwanted feelings at bay and they crash in. So don't let them crash through. Be honest with him. Look at where you are actually and practice telling him, God, how do you feel? Okay, be real. Do that and then be still. Think about what God says to you. And what he says to you is, well, let your arms hang limp at your side. I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the nations and on the earth. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so be real, be still, and then what do you do? Then you know what I you know what he says? Speak freely. What do you need to ask me for today? What do you need today? God, I have very strong feelings today, and help me give me the wisdom to be able to deal with them. Help me hold on to the reality of my circumstances. Help me to hold on to your hand. You know what a good thing to ask for? We just described it today. One thing to ask for? What might that be? You know what you can ask God for? Wisdom. Wisdom. How about that? God, give me wisdom. And the wisdom to be able to respond appropriately to this situation. And wisdom doesn't mean that you're going to get out of it. Wisdom means that I'm going to be able to get into it and through it to the other side. Um, practice. And here's what I want you to understand. And I, I want you to look at me now, because I don't want you to walk away. And you try this, 
And it says, this is really hard. This is not natural for us. And I'm, I'm really not just saying that. I'm working on this. I know it's important, and it won't be secondhand. It will be difficult to learn. This is something, this is something worth practicing. And what you're going to find is practice makes perfect. Uh, not moral perfection, but you'll be able to be gentler with yourself and with others. Be brilliant in the basics. Spend time thinking about God's commitments. We are, we're going to close with a, um, a brief video clip. Uh, we talked about, Denise talked about J.C. Chambers earlier. J.C. had a very unique ability to um, not miss the forest for the trees. He was very good at knowing he, he, he could take in a lot of data, and yet he always had an ability to identify what was really important, and he really was a person who clung to grace. We're going to, John, roll that clip, and we're going we're gonna to watch it. Um, acceptance of grace seems yeah. to be obviously a, a cue for kind of everything that goes around here and people want. Oh, dude, that's the thing. Tell me, tell me about <laughs> that's the, of that's like the cocaine around here, dude. Okay. It's grace. So, like, I just think, I think people are wired for, I think people are wired for, for grace. And grace is my sense of being able to understand. I've been... I've been, my identity's been changed from sinner to saint, from alien to son. And so my expectation is that I want people when they come in the room to experience being a saint and being a son. I don't care if they call themselves a Christian or not. I want them to experience what it's like to have a relationship with someone who honors them like a saint and a son of the king, not, not of my, not my son. But the the son the king's son like dude you, I gotta treat you like royalty. That's because that's who you are, and and your stuff that you bring to the table doesn't disqualify you. That's the other side of grace is that it's just part of the deal. We all struggle with it. So you know people are shocked by grace, man. They're shocked. I ask a question. Say when you know we're in the middle of talking and he's crying about how bad it is and I say okay here I got a question for you Jesus walks in the door what did he say and literally people look at my door and turn from the door so what's that mean God dude it ain't gonna be good man it ain't gonna be good man I said oh so then usually they say well what do you think he's gonna say and I said I think he's gonna come to the door and say safe I'm so glad to see you dude can I sit down right next to you he's gonna put his arm around you and say yo what up how you been, man? I can tell you ain't doing good. It's okay. And people start crying. Because they don't. And I'm shocked. Like, well, dude, this is the gospel. Like, what do we, how, how come this is a surprise? It is, you know. So people say, where'd you, where'd you learn about a God like that dude you just described? I said, that's the only dude I know, man. That's the only dude I know. I don't know any other guy. The other guys I have in my head, I kick them out. You know, they still bang on the door, but, you know, I'm working hard to not listen, you know. So then people open up, and, and uh, most people are shocked. They can't believe that God might be glad to see them in the state they're in. Like, no, dude, he's excited to walk through the door, sit down on the couch, like, yo, I'm glad you're with JC. What up? How you doing? 
I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I don't like the word Christian, but and it's real specific. It's who we, who I am, but I don't like the judgment that goes with that. I don't like the notion of believers looking down their nose somehow because they have a relationship with Christ makes them better than other people. Um, and so grace-based or grace-focused or grace-specific means that when you come to Stronghold, you're walking in the door with somebody who's human and who's broken too and who gets that brokenness, who gets the struggle, who gets agony um, and can walk with you and isn't afraid to speak truth into that. So, you know, a faith-based, grace-based office is something, is we're a place with, that's grounded in God's principles, but we're, we're not evangelists. That's not any of our call here. So our call is to plant seeds that the Father in heaven loves you the way you are. Matter of fact, I don't use love as much either. I use like. Most people are surprised when I say to somebody who's caught in addiction, God likes you just the way you are right now with your addiction. And people are like, what? You know, God likes you. He wants you to change, but he's not disgusted. He's not appalled by your behavior. I want people to understand that if we have that God conversation, if we don't, then I want them to understand it from the therapist that's here, that the therapist is not appalled. The therapist is not, the therapist likes you. You know, I always say to my people that are supervised, you have to find a way to like the people God brings in the door for you. You have to find a place. I have to close your prayer. Father, thank you for the gospel and thanks for um, the people that we can walk with, some of whom don't walk with us anymore, but their legacy continues to accompany us like JC. And we are still walking the road that you have for us where we've learned that if we're going to be able to be who you want us to be, we're going to encounter difficulties on this road. It's not because we did anything wrong, not because you don't like us. It's how we develop faith that is able to be deep enough to withstand distress. And as we learn that, it allows us to deal with ourselves more gently and deal with others more gently as well. It's a hard road. It's the road less traveled. It's the narrow road. But it's the road that you walked. And there's others who have walked it as well. And, and we want to walk that road. So would you continue to give us everything we need to do your will? Would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight? Uh, thanks that we don't walk alone. And now as we think about sitting down together and eating together and talking together, thanks for the opportunity we have. Thanks for the food and the opportunity to share it together. In Jesus' name, amen.